The following podcast contains strong language, adult themes, and sexual content. Viewers be advised, the show is rad. Loosely Canon Podcast does not own any of these stories or properties. All characters and stories shared on this show are fictional, and any likeness to real people or situations are coincidental. That's that's Good. one yeah. that's one way to cope with death. Yeah, for hey, real. Hey, death is imminent. Might as well get that poon. <laughs> <laughs> Hey y'all, welcome back to Loosely Canon, a podcast where the real treasure or the fanfics we read along the way. I'm your host, Andrew, and joined with me as always is my friend Q. Hello, I am Q, and you may remember me from every other time we've done this. Uh, yeah, if you want to check his bio and his works, it's just specifically this. Only this. Uh, for now, for now, for now. For now, for now. So Q, we're, uh, I'm actually really excited because today we actually have our first repeat, our first continuation on the podcast. We're actually going to continue the story of Echoes of Stars by Gay Refrain, our mummy fanfic. Do you remember what happened in the story last time? I do remember. Uh, I remember I loved it. There was writing on people's skin that showed like the phrase, their soulmate had like would say to them when they first met them and evie had and who's the broad yes yeah yeah, yeah she yeah. did uh the the main concept of this story is that all of the characters and their soulmates have their phrases uh of what they hear their soulmate first say to them written on their body somewhere so for example evie's says and who's the broad right uh, which is, of course, the for- first thing that Rick says to her in the Mummy movie. But really cool idea. And it's actually got me thinking, Q, and I, I want to run these by you. And I want our listeners to kind of think about this, too. What do you think uh, soulmate uh, phrasing could affect you in your everyday life? Where do you think you would not want your soulmate's words to be on your body? Like where I wouldn't want them to be? Yes. I just... On my face, like a Post Malone tattoo. Yeah, yeah, no, so you like, where it says like, always tired on Post Malone's face, like, it's something like that? Yeah, especially, so if you're like, uh, like, let's say you're a wealthy person, or you're, let's say you're hot, or you have something valuable that's like, readily viewable from, like, some person walking on the street, and they see the words on your face, they could just say them. That could be everybody's words that they say to you you wouldn't know oh my gosh yeah yeah you wouldn't know who your soulmate is uh you know for instance if you on your face just said hi this is andrew i would walk up to you and be like hi this is andrew yeah that's that's an interesting thing why did you get that tattooed on your face i'm like no 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 it's my soulmate these are my these are my soulmate words i think face probably yeah i don't know i'm still on the uh i'm kind of on the butt train that's kind of like the weirdest like kind of tramp stamp you could have is just like uh, like imagine imagine on the words appeared on your butt. Hi, how's your day going? <laughs> <laughs> and that's your introduction to people. Well, actually, no. I hope you don't introduce yourself ass first to people. But I do. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's actually how I met you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, excellent point. I'm also kind of concerned. Like, what about like 
super mundane things that someone could tell you. Like the, the example I gave, like, hi, how are you? How many people would say that to you? And how many times would you like hear it and get immediately paranoid? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's another thing. Like if it's just, hi, how are you? I would be extremely paranoid anytime I ever met somebody or, uh, like Skyrim NPC words, like mm-hmm. "How may I help you?" It's like, huh, is this cashier my soulmate? Or, or it's like, "Hey, there's a letter for you." Wouldn't say who it's from. Your <laughs> eyes only. Your <laughs> eyes only. It's from a yarl. Oh man, I'm hoping our audience gets Skyrim references. That'd be great. Uh, they're they're fanfic writers and readers. I'm sure they get Skyrim. Obviously, people of culture. Obviously, yeah. So let's kind of get our uh, listeners up to speed. So we already read the portion of the story, um, which is kind of the first part of the Mummy film, where uh, Evie kind of meets Rick and Jonathan. Uh, Of course, Jonathan gets sucker punched right in the mouth by Rick. And Evie responds to this by getting instantly wet for this man. Oh, yeah. She's she's (laughs) down bad. And now... Uh, in the story, it's the part of the movie where they are going to the dig site to uncover the uh, city of the dead and hopefully find the Book of the Dead as well, which is what Evie is after in the film. Uh, the Book of Amun-Ra. That too. That is also there. But there's also the Book of the Dead, which is what she finds first. That's what she finds, but that's not what she's looking for. Is Read that, up on your mummy history. Is that a spoiler? Spoiler alert. It's, if you've never seen the mummy before, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, if you're under the age of 24, um, my bad. Uh, uh, and not not the Tom Cruise mummy either. I never saw it. Uh, I you know a lot of people gave it crap, but um, it had everything I want from a Tom Cruise movie. He's running and he's doing cool stuff. Keith, I know you. The only thing you want from a Tom Cruise movie is Tom Cruise. You won't hear it from my lips. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've. I think we've kind of uh, set people up enough for it. So are you ready to start our story today? I'm ready. All right, guys. Let's get started. This is part two of Echoes of Stars by Gay Refrain. All right. My favorite thing, uh, pronouncing Egyptian words. This is not my specialty in history. (laughs) Uh, The Hominoptera, Egypt, 1926. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the way they say in the movie. Are you telling me an American movie said the uh ancient egyptian words right hey evie was half egyptian <laughs> that was the most unbelievable thing about that yeah, movie hominoptera wasn't so bad jonathan figured barring all the deaths and the smells and the general desert dryness of course but at least he wasn't alone evie sat beside him in front of the fire neither would admit it but the death of the detested warden was frightening and lingering over them i like how it's like guys i don't want to admit it but i'm pretty shook up about the death that just occurred (laughs) (laughs) man it was really freaky there was like some scarab crawling under this guy's skin but i don't want to seem dramatic and bring it up again yeah i wish we would have gotten his story like what did his soulmate say to him what if he didn't have anything what if his soulmate was just like the screechings of the scarab (laughs) oh he got in there so jonathan decided to change the subject and who's the broad, he quoted as sister. To his mirth, she clutched at her side before dropping her hand and glaring at him. Men say such things to women all the time. But have you asked him what his markings are? He prompted. No, she said, berating him. Because we're trying to find Hamanaptra in the book of Amun-Ra. This isn't the time. 
Well, we got one of two, he figured. And if we learned anything today, life is short. Mm, that's that's good. one yeah. That's one way to cope with death. Yeah, for hey, real. Hey, death is imminent. Might as well get that poon. <laughs> <laughs> she said nothing for a moment and then said, How do you suppose he died? Damn it. She was trying to change the subject. Before he could berate her, Rick walked back up from the Americans' camp, sharing their bad news as well. But Jonathan didn't really care all that much as they talked, barely interjecting as he got distracted by alcohol. He just drank the warden's alcohol as Rick and Evie chatted by the fire. He honestly kind of hoped the uncouth man was his sister's soulmate, because things would be interesting, and he'd never let her live it down. That's a sibling thing right there. It's like, I hope, yeah. I hope your soulmate's the scumbag, then I get to <laughs> hold it over you forever. There you go. Stay here, he ordered them. Take this. And with that, he gives his sister the giant elephant gun in his arsenal. (laughs) Here, sister, here's the most powerful gun I have. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Evie chased after him. Jonathan groaned. He wanted to chat about her soulmate saying, but he wasn't going to be left alone in the middle of the hominoptera. So he chased after them both, calling, Didn't the man just say stay here, Evie? He ran after her, but stopped in his tracks as he saw a group of men in black robes on horseback, just like the ones on the barge, coming in and shooting, attacking them from all sides. I think I remember this part of the movie, and one guy just goes, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> I, I love this reaction. Well, that just won't stand. Oh, <laughs> It's like Pooh Bear. Making sure he had one of O'Connell's pistols and the Glenlivet for strength, Jonathan <laughs> hid behind a rock thing and shot at whoever he could aim at. A rock thing. It's very Also, specific. I do remember he was drinking something. Apparently it was Glenlivet. Yeah, that's an awful choice. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> he does have a problem, which even with the darkness and his general junk blurry, was actually pretty good. But then that smarmy Hungarian, Benny... He thought, but didn't really care. Stole his drink, but then he let it all spill on the sand. Jonathan was about to shout at him for wasting liquor when another man on horseback suddenly appeared, shouting at them. The Hungarian spat the alcohol in his face, but he didn't have time to react other than to run. Realizing he was being chased, Jonathan scrambled to find the only person who could help him. O'Connell! He tried to run faster than a horse, but then the hooves suddenly stopped. He whipped around to see Rick. The man and the horse suddenly in the sand. I love how optimistic is like, I'm going to outrun this horse. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did. It's another thing. At the very beginning of the movie, he outruns like four horses. Distracted, he watched them move and pivot and strike and all that fancy fighting stuff until Rick pulled out and lit a stick of dynamite. All I just read was Rick pulled out and I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the man stopped suddenly, his robes no longer covering his face. And Jonathan felt his jaw drop. Wow. Even with the face tattoos, excessive facial hair, and the fact he was about to murder him just a few moments ago. The desert man was attractive. Oh, we were you were right. Hell yeah, I was. There you go. Oh, he's gonna Jonathan's gonna get it with Posty. There you go. <laughs> Enough, the man shouted. And then shouted something in Arabic. He didn't take his eyes off of Rick as he ordered his men something in quick Arabic. He turned to their group once more. We will shed no more blood tonight, but you must leave. Leave all of you, quickly. For a moment, so quick and soft it was a feather touched to time. The man stared him in the eyes, and he felt electricity shock his arm. The other man clearly did not feel it, 
as he continued. <laughs> Damn. Savage. Been there. What's well, why you gotta say the words? Oh, he doesn't know the words. He needs to say. Leave this place or die. Then Jonathan got a very bad feeling that this place might be the one alluded to in his soulmate saying. He just barely resisted the urge to scratch the mark. The man turned away, adding, You have one day, and shouting some more in Arabic. And then all the men in black robes were gone. Rook took out the fuse of dynamite. Jonathan let out a breath. He didn't know he was holding. He took another swig of the Glenlivet. Jesus, this desert was going to do him in. <laughs> Can you imagine how much more confusing this would have been if his soulmate saying was in Arabic? Uh, well, at least he knows he's in the right place for it. Hamanoptera, 1926 A.D. Evie had never fired a gun that size in her entire life, and she was honestly so terrified of all the people from the ship that she found herself perfectly at ease on the sandy ground, at least until O'Connell was suddenly at her side. Evelyn, hey. He spoke to her, his voice the gentlest she had ever heard it. He took the gun from her tight grip and reached for her head as she sat up. Are you alright? Together, they got her up. Yes, I'm fine, she said. Honestly, she was. A bit shaken, but she was alive. That was more than some people in Hominoptera could say right now. Her head ached a bit and her fingers were sore from her tense grip on the elephant gun. Yeah, remember when all those uh, those digger people melted? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like like an acid trap? Yeah. That was pretty cool. I don't think this is what she's shaken up about, though. She looked up at him, and he was staring right into her eyes. Abruptly, she felt his hands, one on her left bicep, the other on her waist, to hold her steady. It was the only thing she could feel. His hand left her arm to touch her chin. You sure? He checked. Thank you. She found herself saying instead of, yes, or how are you? His finger and thumb kept caressing over her cheek. She convinced herself it was for medical reasons. But she felt anything but medical right now. And since she had a minor head injury and this day had been hectic, she continued to be held by O'Connell. Honestly, me too. Why not? You got. <laughs> I mean, I get held into his dreamy eyes. I know, right? Yeah. That proves it. One of the Americans said as his hand went back to her arm. Old Seti's fortune got to be under his sand. She as subtly as possible, moved to stand closer to him, letting her hand touch his chest. Ooh. Ooh. Just just, just sneaking a little uh, feel right there. Yeah, copping a feel. Her saying tingled under his touch at her side, but she paid it no mind. For them to protect it like this, you just know there's treasure down there, another said. She watched them, but kept herself in O'Connell's grip, even as he said, No, these men are desert people. They value water, not gold. Before she could voice her agreement, another American stepped forward, the one with glasses and who was currently covered in shaving cream. You know, maybe just at night we could combine forces. You know, we've already talked about spoilers, but man, the guy with glasses gets fucked the, up. The guy with glasses gets the shaft of the whole movie. Yeah, no, I know all of the Americans uh, do end up biting it, but uh, the guy with the glasses is just like, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy with the glasses gets shafted. Also, he did not deserve it. Evie gets shafted at the end of the film. They hey. don't show it though. 
There was another dig site going on too, if you know what I'm saying. After that, her brain got more fuzzy the more of the Glenlivet she drank. Who would have thought that stinky warden had such good taste? Jonathan slept beside them in the fire. She wished he was awake so she could talk to him about the warrior man who spoke his words. After nearly killing them, twice. Still, but they were still her brother's words. She hoped that he and Jonathan would get to be happy together. That's a nice thought. Like, yeah, that man almost murdered us. But you know what? You might be right for my brother. Yeah. Okay, so she does. So they, they she picked up on it as well. That Like, hey, that's that's your soulmate. Jonathan, I think Jonathan did too. He was just like, oh. To, to be fair. To be fair. The words that the Magi said to Jonathan aren't words that everybody's just going to say anytime they meet you. Like, who's the broad? I mean, I said that to everybody. Yeah, no, I heard you said it to someone the other day. But at that moment, she was drunk and distracted as O'Connell taught her self-defense. She threw a right hook, but accidentally threw herself with it, and he caught her. Once again, his arm touched her right ribcage, and once again she felt them tingle, the most pleasant of burns. But she was too giggly to really speak up about it. Unlike your brother, miss, O'Connell said. Oh, he was talking. She should pay attention. You, I just don't get. She choked a little at the alcohol burn before saying, I know, you're wondering, what's a place like me doing in a girl like this? She gestured to herself. Something like that, he agreed. Egypt is in my blood, she told him emphatically. You see, my father was a very famous explorer. She pulls out her locket with pictures she wore to keep them close. He loved you so much that he married my mother, who was an Egyptian and quite an adventurer herself. The words, her story, came out so easily to him. Probably the liquor. But she liked the feeling of openness. I get your father. I get your mother. I get him, he pointed to her brother. But what are you doing here? Knight pointed at her. Suddenly, the open feeling disappeared and she felt downright insulted. How dare he? How dare O'Connell? Look, she staggered to her feet. I may not be an explorer or an adventurer, she said, smacking at his hand as he went to steady her, or a treasure seeker, or a gunfighter. Mr. O'Connell, but I am proud of what I am. And what is that? he asked her. I am a librarian, she said proudly. Because she was. Mad respect to librarians. Yeah, no, no. Books. Yeah. Uh, it's only very recently that I actually realized exactly what librarians do, other than just, like, organize books in a library. And they do a lot of stuff that, like, I wouldn't want to do. I always thought the librarians just kind of, like, moved books around and kept really secret, like, dark books of magic and secrets and import in the back. Yeah, like like the bartender of books. Yeah, exactly. Like they just spend all day rubbing a piece of cloth against a book, and then all of a sudden someone walks in and they're like, this is the guy I'm going to reveal the secrets to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. One of them's got to hide the genie in it somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. She loved books so much, and she loved learning, and she loved words. Words. She fell to her knees in Sapiforum, lit by fire in the Hominoptera sands. And who's the broad, she said at him. Those are my words. What are your words? My words, he asked, but didn't answer. But she didn't need or want an answer. 
Maybe this would be one of those tragic situations where someone is someone else's soulmate, but they aren't theirs in return. And drunk and giddy on liquor, she didn't feel like knowing just then. Oh my God, you can have someone's words, but they won't have yours? I don't think it's a case where, like, your soulmate is going to be somebody who's not your soulmate, if that makes any sense at all. She just wanted to act. And I'm going to kiss you, Mr. O'Connell. Call me Rick, he said. She smiled. It wasn't her words. It wasn't an admittance of being soulmates. But it was a yes. Rick, she said, her lips stretching to a giddy smile. And that's the last thing she remembered. Yeah, she passes out. And I remember thinking, Rick, don't you do it. Not in her state. And he didn't, and it was great. I was like, Rick, please do not draw a penis on her forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Do not do it because she passed out. Yeah. Uh, This is the first time in the story where the dialogue does veer away from what happens in the movie slightly. Like in like the first chapter or the first couple chapters is obviously like added scenes, a little bit of context into what's going on in the story. But this is the very first time I've actually seen where they like slipped in a little bit of dialogue and they're like, and who's the bra? That's my words. Like, that's not. Hominoptera, 1926 AD. Ardeth waited with his fellow Magi and the Egyptologist on the sacred grounds of the Hominoptera. Even as the commander of his tribe and a man nearly the age of 30, he still felt unqualified and bit apprehensive to walk this sand. So he distracted himself by visiting the man whose eyes and tongue were torn from him. Oh no! This is the glasses dude. He just had his eyes ripped out by the Oh, this was, this was post, uh, this was post dickening. Yes. Okay. Uh, post has found the guy post the dickening. Yeah, okay. Something post. Something, something about, like, lamp. And he's leaning on a post. We need John Wick in here. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a lamp? Lamp. Is he going to be all right? He asked their medic in Arabic who was tending to one of the excavators who had already been attacked by the creature. He will live, Akil Ra replied, but knowing the creature, not for long. Ardeth simply nodded and went to stand at the front lines with the rest of his warriors. No one said a word, until Tarek did. Some of those scavengers speak English, he said. Do you suppose one of them is your soulmate? That's a really weird segue. Yeah, he's like, by the way, you're the only person I know with English words on him, so it's got to be one of these people, right? Hey, dude, let's all just state the obvious. There's a really ancient evil just been unearthed. This dude lost his eyes. More people probably going to die. But hey, those guys speak English. Are you going to get laid? Do you think he's pretty? (laughs) Hey, yo, boss is going to get laid. Hell yeah. Are you really going to discuss this now and here? Ardeth almost couldn't believe the nerve, but Tarek always did lack a filter. Also, uh, one thing I want to point out is Tarek is again, they're like talking about Tarek. So he is in fact not the guy who got stabbed in the eye with a candle and lit on fire. No. no. Okay. Okay. R.I.P. though. Sadly, I really wanted it to be him. I miss him so much. The apocalypse is nigh. His close friend responded, unapologetic. Do we truly know what time we have left? Before Ardeth could properly formulate a response, the explorers ran out of the tombs. Luckily for all involved, they didn't run away. In fact, 
they raised their hands in surrender and stayed still. His people kept their weapons cocked and raised, but since he was the only one who spoke English well, he spoke on behalf of them. I told you to leave or die, he told the man he fought with the brown hair and the broad face. Man, he's got a broad face, and he calls people broads. Yeah, I was going to say. He's... Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple broads in here, yeah. <laughs> you refused. Now you may have killed us all, for you have unleashed a creature we have feared for more than 3,000 years. They needed to know the seriousness of their consequences that his people will have to pay. Relax. I got him, he said, gesturing to his revolver. No mortal weapon can kill this creature, he said for it seemed fairly obvious. He's not of this world. With that, he stepped aside as his Magi warriors pulled out the man Emotep attacked and that Akil had operated on. The explorers stared in shock as their comrade was placed at their feet. You bastard, one of them said. What did you do to him? Another demanded. The man without eyes and tongue groaned in pain. We saved him, Ardeth said, for it was the truth. Saved him before the creature could finish his work. He looked over the group, and his eyes settled on the one he must have chased after atop his horse, Amenamahat, named after a pharaoh one of his relatives served under. The man had a narrow face and light hair, but there was something about it that drew him in. It might have been his eyes, bright and blue on his face, but Ardith didn't have time to ponder. Leave, all of you, quickly, he said, and he needed them to listen. The man he stared at and the woman beside him gasped slightly as he continued, looking over the rest. Before he finishes you all. Someone's going to get finished. Oh! Oh! He's going to (laughs) jizz. We're going to give him the old Nantucket navel. I hope not. (laughs) You're not going to kill us? The man, the one he chased, asked near desperate. The woman beside him elbowed him harshly. Years of training to be stoic in the face of danger had paid off as Ardith kept his face a perfect mask of impassivity. Absently, he adjusted his robe sleeve over his remark. He could feel the gaze of some of the fellow warriors on him, but this was not the time to handle such matters, no matter what Tarek said. He ordered his men to move forward and to leave the scavengers be. He did not answer the man's question, not directly, but he did say, We must go on the hunt and try and find a way to kill him. I already told you, I got him, the man he fought said. Ardeth, even though he had no time, turned back to them. Know this, this creature is the bringer of death. He will never eat, he will never sleep, and he will never stop. False. I see him eat a scarab in the movie. You know, he actually, like, he, he actually munches, and I actually, like, I was like, pause, pause, pause. Yeah, yeah. Like, he did you, it. You hear it crunch and everything, so he does eat. And you know what? I think there was a scene where he was just kind of sitting on a chair, so technically he did stop. Yeah, yeah, he he did eat, he did sit, and he didn't have eyelids to begin with, so he possibly could have slept. We do not know. But not without one last look at the man who said his words. He hoped that their paths would cross once more, perhaps under better circumstances. Cairo, 1926 AD, still the same year. Okay, so still movie one. Yes. Rick stared at the mob of people who had become slaves. He was only armed with an undrawn pistol, a torch, and a dwindling amount of bullets, with Evie, Carnahan, the Magi, and the Curator. 
you know, I got to say, if you aren't working with like context of the movies, you might be like, whoa, something happened here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of more characters added onto this scene and I have no clue who they are. He'd had worse odds, but that didn't mean he had to like it. But this time he didn't have any better ideas and that pissed him off. They were cornered up against a building, surrounded. There was nowhere to run, but the slaves didn't attack. They're basically, they see Imnotep and they're like, he is God or something, yeah? Yeah, he's like, he's risen. And I just remember uh, in in the movie, like, all of the people are, Imnotep, Imnotep, and that's all they say, yeah. I don't know, if I saw an undead mummy, I I might grab a pitchfork or two and be like, yep. On his side. Yeah, I mean, if you see an undead mummy doing, you know, magical things, it it does put in a little perspective, like, okay, maybe the Egyptians were right. I'd be standing there and be like, guys, he doesn't eat, sleep, stop, and then I'd see him eat a scarab and be like, I have doubts about him now. (laughs) (laughs) Emotep, with an actual face and body, instead of just weird dead gunk, approached their group with Benny behind them. Rick should have killed that Hungarian snake when he had the chance. It's the creature, the curator said. He's fully regenerated. The mummy started speaking in a language he didn't understand, so oh, he kept no. the torch raised. He's hot now. Yeah, no, he, <laughs> Emotep does, he does kind of get really hot. <laughs> yeah. He has like straight up booty shorts at one point, I think at the end of the film. Yeah, he's like a, a mummy, like a dead mummy the entire time, and all of a sudden he's fully regenerated. It's like, damn. He's hot now. I wonder what his words were. I think it's on his butt and it just says juicy. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that what they call him when they first meet the uh the, the mummy? Oh and, he, my God. and she's like and she's like, Wow, he's still uh <laughs> and then uh Rick goes juicy. juicy. Oh my goodness. It's canon. Come with me, my princess. Benny said, translating. It is time to make you mine forever. For all eternity, idiot, Evelyn sneered. Rick didn't have time to be proud of her before Imhotep kept talking and Benny translated one more. Take my hand and I will spare your friends. Oh dear, she said, and honestly he couldn't have put it better himself. Have you got any bright ideas? She asked him. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, he murmured. You better think of something fast. She said, and that's when he looked at her. Because if he turns me into a mummy, you're the first one I'm coming after. He swallowed tightly. If this broad, if this amazing spectacle of a woman really was his soulmate, there was no way he was going to let her go away with this ancient dead guy. Evelyn stepped forward into the embrace of Imhotep. This hot ancient dead guy. Yeah, let's not sell Imhotep short. He's, he fucks. Oh, absolutely. Hey Q, look that up. Oh my god. Yeah, it turns out Enotep was a bodybuilder and I think you could grate meat on those. My god. Holy crap. Alright, hit save on that one. That's bear wallpaper. <laughs> yeah. That's the new logo for the for the podcast. Evelyn stepped forward into the embrace of Emotep. No, Rick said and pulled out his weapon. It might have been a bright idea, but at least it was something. He aimed it right at the ancient bastard. Don't, she ordered as the Magi Ardeth grabbed at his arm. He starts to take me to Hamanaptra to perform the ritual, she reminded him. 
It looked so wrong to see her by the mummy's side, and he hated it with every fiber of his being. She is right, Ardeth said, practically in his ear. But even then, Rick barely heard him. Live today, fight tomorrow. Rick kept his gaze on Evelyn, and the gun raised to Imhotep. In her eyes, he saw her asking him to let her go, so they could live and get her back. He saw her asking him to trust her. He holstered his weapon. Rick took a deep breath and then wheeled on the undead priest. I'll be seeing you again, he vowed, pointing the torch at him. And he was stuck to watch as the bastard led his soulmate away from him. Evelyn, Rick nearly growled out after her. But Ardeth held him back. He felt the words on his back burn like a torch striking his skin. Hey, that's mine, Jonathan said beside him. For Christ's sake, now Benny had the key box. And Imhotep had Evelyn. It couldn't possibly get any worse. Oh no, what am I going to do? My date's been taken by Imhotep. Oh man. But then the priest said something, and Evelyn started shouting, No, let go of me. And the enslaved city people started to advance as Evelyn disappeared from view. Goodbye, my friend, Benny said with a sneer. Come here, Rick lunged at him. Killing the bastard might make him feel better, but he was already gone. Emotep, Emotep, Emotep. The mob chanted as they approached. I was about to say, is that exact? Is that actually what it says? No, I'm just really on Team Emotep right now. There you go. I mean, look, after seeing the picture, I'm on Team Emotep too. Let's talk about all the good things Emotep did. He tried to take down the ruling, like, like the ruling class. Yeah, he tried it. Yeah, he he took down the the pharaoh. And l- let's be clear. If Imhotep is a bad guy, so is everybody who participated in the French Revolution, and I don't think we're ready to make that choice, right? And also, like, let's be real, the the woman that, the priestess that was kind of with the pharaoh didn't like him that much. She preferred Imhotep, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. She definitely preferred Imhotep, so, I don't know. I would prefer Imhotep. Uh, yeah. I kind of prefer him right now. Uh Uh-huh. Rick threw the torch at the closest villagers (laughs) (laughs) and went for the sewer grate. He may not have had bright ideas, but he was going to stay alive to make sure Evelyn was. What about my sister? Jonathan asked him. Absently, Rick wondered if he thought that he and his sister were soulmates. Yeesh. Yeesh. What about my sister? We're going to get her back, Rick promised and threw him down the hole. Because he would, even if it's the last thing he did. You know, Q, it's a small note, but I like how the curator is there in the story to say those few words, and then it uh, skips over the part where he violently gets ripped apart by all the like cultists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. His one role in the story was to uh, yell at Evie at the beginning of the film and then sacrifice himself. And I was like, oh no, not librarian, man. Uh, the actor who plays the curator has been in a lot of like my favorite like sci-fi TV shows. He's in uh, Stargate SG-1, and that show slaps, so uh, I kind of like that actor. But this is part two of Echoes of Stars by Gay Refrain. Hey, y'all, we really like this story. We enjoy it. We love The Mummy. We love having an excuse to talk about it. And Gay Refrain has also given us a fantastic story to do so, so please give a shout out kudos share it go comment let her know how much you love it and also 
make sure you guys let us know if you're liking our podcast. Please make sure you share it. Let other people know. I actually want to use this opportunity to talk about something that I didn't really expect when we started this podcast. I didn't think it was going to happen, especially not this soon. But Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you know, every episode we talk about, hey, send us emails, talk to us about, uh, you know, one thing or another, uh, you know, send us your fanfics. And uh, finally, we got our very first fan fan email. Yeah. Fan email. So we're going to read that out. We have uh, a fan email from Lily. Yeah. says, hi, Andrew and Q. Wanted to say hi, but wasn't certain this was the right email address. Well, Lily, now you know this is the correct email address. Uh, Hoping it is. I'm loving the podcast so far. A really delightful show. Smiley face. Uh, Made the mistake of listening at work. And attracting confused looks as I choked my way through the Eminem episode. Fantastic episode, by the way. If you haven't uh, listened to uh, the Tucker Carlson and Eminem episode, episode two. Omega Male gets topped by Woke Candy. Omega Male gets topped by Woke Candy. Go listen to it. It it, it deserves a listen. Um, Great stuff. Take care. Lily. And I want to say thank you so much for emailing us, Lily. You definitely got the right email. We we loved it. I remember reading it out, and I was like, oh, snap, we got an email. And you read to me, and I thought you were making it up. Um, Lily, thank you so much for emailing, and I'm so glad you enjoyed the episode. And I'm so grateful. I want to give you some advice. What you should do, since you're listening to Matt work anyways, you should start sharing it with your coworkers, maybe even your boss. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And nothing... But good things will come of that, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll get a promotion right away. Absolutely. Uh, on that, and on that note, our goal now is that eventually our podcast is just played in the background of like coffee shops. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. Airports. Mm-hmm. Um, waffle houses. Don't talk to me about waffle houses right now. <laughs> Someone's a little sensitive, but we'll get on that later. But guys, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. We really appreciate it. Please like, share, let other people know about it, and we'll see you next week. We always upload on Monday, so we'll see y'all then. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please rate and share our show on whatever platform you're listening on. A big thank you to our fanfic authors for giving us their wonderful stories to share with the world. Please give kudos and support to this week's entry through our show notes. This has been Loosely Cannon, and catch you on the flip side.